Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Tianlu. Coming up in this edition, the U.S. says it will conduct more strikes on Iran-linked militant groups. Tehran calls the move an adventurous and strategic mistake. Preliminary results in El Salvador's presidential election give Naib Bukele a second term. And China has unveiled its number one central document for 2024, outlining the main priorities to promote rural revitalization. We begin with the Middle East. Iran and Iraq have condemned the U.S. strikes on Iraq and Syria, saying they violate their sovereignty. Tehran has called the U.S. move an adventurous and strategic mistake. And Iraqi officials and civilians have expressed their frustration and anger. The White House says the strikes are just the beginning. Mahal Badvid reports. Funerals were held on Sunday in Baghdad for 16 members of a Shiite armed group who were killed in the U.S. airstrikes. Mourners in Baghdad chanted, "There is no god but Allah," as they marched behind ambulances carrying portraits of the victims. U.S. President Joe Biden says the attack conducted by U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria was specifically targeting entities linked to Iran's Revolutionary Guard, the IRGC, and the militias it supports. The Biden administration had vowed it would respond to the drone attack by Iranian-backed armed groups that left three U.S. soldiers dead in Jordan. As regional tensions escalate, the repercussions are being felt by neighboring countries such as Iraq and Jordan. For the past four months, since Hamas launched a deadly assault on Israel in October and triggered a war between Israel and Hamas, a group known as the Islamic Resistance in Iraq has been attacking U.S. targets in Iraq, Syria, and Jordan. A representative of the pro-Iran Shia Islamist insurgent group says it will continue targeting U.S. personnel until its demands are met. The Islamic Resistance Frontline will respond to American violations in Iraq. Syria, Yemen, and Pakistan, without stopping, regardless of the existence of American attacks or lack thereof, as long as the two conditions I previously mentioned are not applied. The removal of the American forces from Iraq and the termination of the operations in Gaza. Meanwhile, civilians in Iraq have also felt the impact of the conflict. Residential areas, which some locals say were also used by militants for weapon storage, have been struck. We demand the prime minister, as they are violating Iraq's sovereignty. We don't want American presence in Iraq. Each time they carried out another attack, we don't want them to stay in Iraq. The resistance is the target of the American forces, but innocent civilians are affected by these strikes, and they have nothing to do with current situation. Iraq's military spokesman has warned that these types of airstrikes could have implications on the security and stability in Iraq and the surrounding region. That was Mahal Badavid reporting. Yemen's Houthi forces have slammed the U.S.-U.K. strikes on their positions, saying their attacks won't affect their decision to show support for the Palestinians in Gaza. The Pentagon says the fresh strikes by the U.S. and Britain hit military facilities used by the Houthis to attack shipping vessels in the Red Sea. Sean Callips has more from Washington D.C. The United States is absolutely firmly convinced 
that both the targets in uh, Iraq and in Syria are working with the Quds, who are members of the Revolutionary Guard of Iran. And even though Iran doesn't directly control the Quds, the Quds do get funding and, uh, and training from Iran. And those are the troops apparently working with militia in those areas. They said they were able to actually trace a drone that followed the U.S. soldiers to the base uh, in Jordan uh, a week ago today uh, when that drone fired uh, and killed three U.S. service uh, troops and injured more than 40 others. Uh, and also they say that there's, there's really no question that so many of the missiles that are firing on commercial shipping vessels in that all-important shipping channel uh, in the uh, Red Sea leading up to the Suez Canal also come uh, from a different arm. They come from Houthis. We're talking about two totally different things, and it, it, it does sound very complex, but the U.S. launched uh, what they call a multi-tier tax, the first one Friday, against the uh, militia that was traced back to uh, killing the U.S. troops, and then the one, the last two days, uh, you know, the Houthi rebels in Yemen, uh, they say that have been firing missiles uh, from there at commercial vessels in and around uh, the Red Sea. About 60% of China's exports that go to Europe end up going through the Suez Canal, so they've had to find different routes. It's dramatically raising shipping costs uh, up three, four, even five times as much, plus the insurance has gone up significantly, so eventually the consumers are all going uh, to feel this. Is it going to work? The U.S. launched an attack against the Houthi rebels back in January, and it really did nothing to stop uh, the missiles uh, from coming in. Uh, the United States and U.K., which uh, launched the attack, said that they targeted missiles and ammunition sites. And there are so many countries in the region right now that say that this was misguided, it shouldn't happen, that the best way to find a way forward is to come to the negotiating table and find peace. That was Sean Kellebs in Washington. In Central America, El Salvador's president has declared himself the winner of national elections that revolved around the trade-off between security and democracy. Naib Bukele claims to have won more than 85% of the vote, despite electoral authorities not immediately releasing the official results. For the first time since civil war ended in 1992, the Central American country held the election under a state of emergency imposed for the president's crackdown on criminal gangs. Alastair Beverstock has more from San Salvador. The incumbent president Naib Bukele does appear given preliminary publishing of results set for a landslide victory here, securing a second five-year term, and it's something which the country itself is very happy about. Bukele had approval ratings as high as 82%, and a lot of that has to do with his crackdown and on the Mara gangs and the, the vast improvement in the security situation here in El Salvador. Less than two years ago, this country was one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Following a particularly murderous weekend two years ago, Bukele brought on a state of emergency crackdown and over the course of the next following months and years has put more than 76,000 alleged Mara gangsters behind bars. And what do the next five years hold for El Salvador? Well, the country still has a number of problems. Poverty rates are still very high. 26% of this country lives below the poverty line. $5 a day or less is what they earn, as well as this country currently struggling to feed itself. 
This country imports 80% of all the food that it consumes while it has allowed its agricultural sector to go into disarray. More than 280,000 hectares of agricultural land here in El Salvador are completely idle today, not producing anything whatsoever. So these have been the campaign promises of Nayib Bukele for his next five years. That was Alastair Beverstock on El Salvador's presidential election. In Africa, the World Food Programme is warning that several people in Sudan have starved to death in recent months. There are also fears that the situation will get much worse in the coming months. The WFP has called on warring parties in the country to guarantee the safety of aid agencies involved in delivering food and other humanitarian assistance. Naba Mohidian has more from Port Sudan. 30-year-old Zahra Mohammed is a mother of two. She was forced to flee from her home in Khartoum to Port Sudan in a desperate bid to find shelter and food for her two children. I came here to feed my children after we experienced hunger. I'm pregnant and I need special diet. All we get now is one meal and tea in the morning. The situation is really bad. There were once hopes that Sudan would become East Africa's breadbasket. But the country is now unable to feed its own population. The World Food Programme says the hunger crisis is deepening as the conflict continues, with reports of some people even starving to death. With the fighting now in its 10th month, nearly 18 million people are facing acute hunger. About 5 million people are experiencing emergency levels of food insecurity, with over three quarters of them cornered in areas where humanitarian access has been hampered and in some areas impossible due to ongoing fighting in large parts of the country. A new food security report for Sudan shows the highest levels of hunger ever recorded during the harvest season that runs from October to February. The deteriorating economy and high inflation have also made life more difficult for traders. The prices are changing every day and we can't provide enough food despite the need. The prices are skyrocketing and importing is difficult due to the high value of foreign currencies and an unstable market. The World Food Programme is warning the situation could get much worse and time is running out ahead of the next lean season in May. Its feared conflict hotspots could face catastrophic levels of hunger unless they get more food assistance. That was Naba Mohidian on the crisis in Sudan. Finally, in China, the central authorities have unveiled the number one central document for 2024, outlining the main priorities to promote rural revitalization. The document is divided into six parts, from guaranteeing national food security to driving rural development and governance. At the first policy statement released by the Chinese government each year, the number one central document is seen as an indicator of policy priorities. Zhou Yixing has more. The number one central document outlines China's policy priorities for rural development. This year, it stresses the need to lay solid foundations for agriculture and intensify efforts to achieve rural revitalization to advance Chinese modernization. The number one central document states that the bottom line should be to ensure national food security and prevent a large-scale return to poverty. It puts the focus on improving the development of rural industries as well as rural construction and governance. 
In the village of Liu Zhang, Liu Guangliang, director of the local service station to promote agricultural technology, explains to farmers how to protect their crops in heavy rains and snow. Liu has worked at the grassroots for many years, guiding agricultural production in the field and convincing more farmers to embrace superior varieties of crop and advanced technologies. This year's number one central document points out that a new round of actions to increase grain production capacity will be solidly promoted. The document states it is important to focus on increasing grain production by increasing yields per unit area at a large scale. We'll continue to take actions to improve yields and convert scientific and technological potential into actual yields to drive increases in production. Liu Zhong used to be a poor village until 2017, creating a specialty rural industry of pure handmade mumbin vermicelli has been an effective measure for the village to escape hardship. The number one central document says it's essential to keep sown farmland at a stable level and increase output per unit at a large scale to make sure the output of grain for 2024 remains above 650 million tons. Improving the industrial development of rural areas is also one of the leading priorities to promote wide-ranging rural revitalization. That was Zhou Yixin on China's just-released number one central document for 2024. Recapping today's headlines, the U.S. says it will conduct more strikes against Iran-linked groups. Tehran calls the move an adventurous and strategic mistake. Preliminary results in El Salvador's presidential election have given the incumbent Naib Bukele a second term. And China has unveiled its number one central document for 2024, outlining the main priorities to promote rural revitalization. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to the Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Tianlu. Thank you for listening.